is Elohim. So what does that mean? Well, I actually want to start in a passage actually a little further in the account of the Torah, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. And as we do this lesson, I will be putting within the text the actual Hebrew letters of the names of God that we come across, as well as its transliteration in English, so that you can see where these names are taking place in any of the texts that we're reading. So in 1 Kings eight twenty-seven, it says this, But will God, Elohim, really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer, and his plea for mercy, Lord, Yahweh, my God, Elohim. Hear the cry and prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day. This place of which you said, My name... And that's all it is. There's no actual name. It's just name capitalized. He took over the word name. said, where my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. And this was a prayer of Solomon, who was given the right to build a temple in his name, N-A-M-E, actual name, and that's the Shem in Hebrew, name, at the inauguration of the temple, a place where man and God could come together on earth. You know, the use of name, rather than an actual name, which we're going to be going over, but just name in general, because just one name's not enough. So he took just the name, build this in my name, it signifies all of the significant qualities that it will be revealed in God's character. And so we get to study out what is that name? And the only way we're going to know what that name that this temple was built in really means is to study out the actual names. And as we learn each name, the name is going to mean more and more to us and how that's going to affect our lives as we go forward. So we begin with the very first name of God, the second word in the Hebrew Bible, the fourth in your English translation, Elohim. Hmm, good name to begin with. We find it in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, Elohim, God, created heaven and earth. If you're ever wondering who the main character of the Bible is, it's God. Because <laughs> it's the first name mentioned. It was named right at the beginning. With no explanation of who He is. No, go, oh, so you know who we're talking... No, just in the beginning, God. Now, we already got a little clue from Ed. This is unique because this name, Elohim, is plural. Now, what's important to understand is the El in Elohim is actually also a name the Canaanites had for their God. Okay? So, the Israelites could be borrowing the name El, just as a human name for an entity... But it became Elohim. It became plural. El in itself simply means mighty or strong. So what's unique to this name is it's plural, as Ed already said, by adding the hymn, giving it the plural form in Hebrew. It's indicating that there's more than one. However, what is very unique with this name, Elohim, which actually occurs quite often in the Bible, over 2,000 times... 
2011 in most translations. So, get your notes out. We're going to try to go after every... No, I'm just kidding. Okay? But you can see that's a pretty popular name. There is one name that's a lot more. That's Yahweh, which is over 5,000 times. But we'll get to that name at another sermon. But what is unique? Every time that name Elohim occurs, and it involves God acting, having a, a verb, the verb is always singular. Now, for those who are into grammar, you don't like this. It'd be like saying, they creates. Instead of he creates. Singular, singular. The verb should go plural with the plural pronoun, right? Or noun. But here it's actually every single time, Elohim, they, creates. Singular. So even though there's three, the triune God is still considered as one action, as one being. And we may not appreciate this paradox, but for 400 years of our Christian heritage, this divided churches, this caused major problems. It's in a very fascinating history on all the different sides that people grabbed on, on what this, quote, triune God and its being, is it three separate, that's just a team? Is it one with three characteristics? Is it three but one? And it just went on and on and on. So we don't appreciate the battles that preceded us. And we may never know exactly how the plural is singular. But we don't need to. But that's Elohim. I think that's an important fact we need to remember as we study out this name. So even in the first sentence of the Bible, we're given the glimpse of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. But how do you define Elohim? Because you've got to remember, as the Hebrews are writing this, this is the first time they this name Elohim. Okay, I know El from the Canaanite gods, what's this Elohim? Well, the reality is you can't really define a name until it's attached to a verb. For example, if you've never heard of the word runner, I just say runner, but you have no idea what that means, you couldn't tell me what runner is. But if I go, the runner runs, and then you see the verb, you go, oh, runner, someone who runs. If I go artist, and you've never heard about what an artist is, or what it does, or what it entails, or what it means, and I just say artist, you go, okay. But I go, the artist draws. Oh, got it. He's drawing. Artist. Artist someone who draws. So as we get Elohim, what is the very first thing God wants us to understand about Him, about His name? Elohim creates. Now the Hebrew word for creates is bara. This means to create, but not in the way we think it means. This is a very unique Create. In fact, this bara is never associated with man in the Hebrew Bible. It's only associated with God. Let me explain. The bara in Hebrew means it, it, it's an action by which something that has not existed before is brought into being. In other words, God created something from nothing. Now, you've got to stop for a minute and literally smell the roses. He created something 
from nothing. Mankind can create a lot of things, but nothing, something from nothing. We create something from something that God created from nothing. Right? And, and actually, if you compare God's created things to man's created things, it's a vast difference. Everything God's creates is alive. It's cyclical. It's synergistic. It's symbiotic. It's, it's moving with everything and everything else. Everything man creates is made of dead matter and gets worse over time. Right? Hey, well, what about babies? Uh, you didn't create that. God created you with the ability to do that. But what man in himself and his own ability can create, it's dead. It's dead matter. God created something from nothing. And what did He create? The heavens, plural, and the earth, singular. So, why is that important? Why at the very beginning it simply says, in beginning, Elohim creates. Because just to accept that demands great faith. We shouldn't be surprised. Hebrews 11.3 says this, By faith we understand that the universe was formed. It doesn't say by science. It doesn't say by great study. It doesn't say by great intellectual wisdom or philosophy. It just says by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. How powerful is that? To create something out of nothing. A lot of us in our life, we have something, and maybe that something is good, or maybe something's really horrible. And maybe no one else sees how horrible it is, because we hide it. And we begin to believe that this something will just be nothing. But you realize even if it is nothing, God can create something out of nothing. But most of us don't have nothing. We have something. So if He can create something out of nothing, what can He create out of something? We've got to really believe and understand this. So now we know what Elohim means. El being mighty and strong... Elohim, the plural, now by its first verb, created, the all-powerful one, the creator, or you combine that, Elohim means mighty creator. Not just creator, mighty creator. Now, why is that important for us? Why do we need to understand this attribute, this aspect, this character, this power of God as Elohim the mighty creator. Well, as Ed already showed us, the ending was in the beginning. Where's the ending in the creator? Go to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood 
from what he has from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Do you realize what that statement just said? You take away the Bible. You take away Christianity and even Jesus himself. And it's saying that just from the creation itself, if we didn't have wickedness in our heart, we could know about God. And isn't it true? When you go out to where you see God's creation rather than man's creation, it takes your breath away. We just got back from Maui not so long ago. It, wow, God is mighty. Takes your breath away. That's why we got to get out in it more. We got to appreciate it. We got to take care of it because it tells us something about God. When we get caught up in all in our schedules and pixels, rather than people and His creation, which people are His creation, by the way. Do you realize that us being together is not just about us being together, it's about seeing God's creation. Because when I'm here together, I see a lot of different colors, a lot of different personalities, a lot of different ages, a lot of different backgrounds, and all that teaches me something about God, which, by the way, Elohim is plural. That's an interesting statement. Creation. We can know God Elohim through simply opening our eyes and literally smelling the roses. So I want you on your own time to go back and read the creation stories. You go, what? Wait, I thought there was one. No, there were stories. Something you may not realize is that the actual Torah you have wasn't just one chronological writing. It was most likely several oral traditions that were combined over time. And actually, if you look at the actual Torah and even just the first few books, the Pentateuch, you can see where things shift. And most scholars, most theologians believe there's four contributors to that Pentateuch. The first one called the Yahwist, which means every time you see Yahweh, that's probably in reference to those contributors because they predominantly use the name Yahweh for God. The Elohist are those who predominantly use Elohim. And you see a shift where at certain points in the Scriptures, it switches all from Yahweh to all the Elohim, or then it combines them. Which leads to the other two contributors, the priestly, which is this is where you see, even way before Deuteronomy, some priestly ideas and concepts and principles, even before the priesthood was created in the Old Testament. And there's, there's the Deuteronomic which means those of the law, you begin to see even the law before the law was presented. And if you actually pay attention to reading the Scriptures, even in English, you can kind of see this shift between those different ones. Okay? And that's just a little history lesson for you. Don't let it freak you out. Like, oh no! We can't trust it! It's all written by God. He may just use different people, just like the Gospels. The Gospels are no different than even the Torah. Many different people God used to bring it about. And that's just an interesting fact. But as you go back and read the creation stories, I want you to consider these questions. To understand Elohim, our mighty creator. First one, is it important to know that God created the heavens and earth? Why or why not? You don't have to answer me now. I want you to do this on your own. Why or why not? Is it important? I think you're going to learn that it's very important. What is the significance of God creating all that is seen from nothing 
or that which is not visible. Is that significant? I, I think it's pretty significant. Even man in all his greatness cannot even touch that. You've often heard the little funny joke arguments about, yeah, we're going to create like God, we're going to be like God. And he says, okay, you create this. Okay, let me gather. No, no, you get your own dirt. You, you create something from nothing. Try that. Is it significant? I believe it is. Why is it important to know the beginning of something? Well, I think after Ed's uh, communion, uh, very important to know the beginning because the ending might be in there. And a beginning automatically infers there will be an ending. So what is this beginning that we're reading in the creation stories supposed to end with? Did something interfere with that ending? And did God have a plan, as we've learned, He did even before it was created? Because He's God. He knows what needed to be done. Is it important? What do you learn about God's character by looking at His creation? I mean, really, just stop and look at His creation. Go to the zoo. And look at each creature. What do you learn about God? I mean, I'll say right off the bat, man, creativity. Yeah. How did He come up with all this varieties, different colors, different sizes, hair, no hair, skin, scales, I mean, big, small, just, wow! And that's just animals. Then you get to the mountains and, the, and all the other things, and the plants and the trees and the fruits and the flavors. I mean, God is creative. And then you look at people. Creative. Right? It's amazing. What about order? Do you see order? Do you see this, 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 this purpose? I believe so. How weird would it be if our mouth was in the back of our head? And then if he didn't give us arms, he'd have to go like this. You know, I mean, there was order to it. He, which leads to another attribute of God. There was wisdom. When God was creating this, he wasn't dumb. He knew how things needed to work, how all of it had to work together even. We've all seen the different TV shows or movies. What if all the bumblebees were taken away? It all works together. There's order. I mean, look at the human body alone. How does it go from this to this to this to this? And then my son like passed me. How does that happen? That's our God. Elohim. Yeah, but Derek, you don't understand, man. My my something is basically nothing. Uh, God can't help. What? Elohim. Mighty Creator who can make something out of nothing, and you're saying your situation is beyond Him? I think it's because we don't look enough at creation. Well, we can know what Elohim means. But the question still remains. This mighty Creator, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. He hasn't even created anything else yet. That's only the only first thing we know about His creative powers. Why? Why do you do that? Isaiah gives us the answer. Look at this answer in Isaiah 45, 18. This is the coolest thing. For this is what the Lord, Yahweh, says. 
He who created the heavens, He is God, Elohim. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, Yahweh, and there is no other. Why did He create the heavens and the earth? For community. For family. For this. All His wonderful creative creation. That's the other question. What's unique about the human creation? Because guys, God created three things in the Scriptures. We'll get to that when we get to what this Elohim created. But I'll leave you guessing for a minute. But He created this all so that there'd be community. Look at this in Genesis 1.26, and Ed already referred to it. Then God, Elohim, said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Notice the intention of man was never to rule over each other. God was meant to rule over us. But He still gave us rule. Ruling over His creation. Being good stewards of what He's given us. Something that He actually created to be eternal, but sin made it fall. But He's not done, because He's Elohim. But I love that statement. We see again the plural in Elohim. Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. Who else besides God was involved in this creation? I, I think we all know El, the Mighty One, was a part of the creation. But who's this other our? Who's this other us? Right? I mean, that's a question we need to answer. I think that's important to know. But what I, I'd like to stop for a minute, notice it says, in our image. Now, it doesn't mean in our looks like us. It's not just a picture. It's in our image. What does this plurality represent? And what that tells us is we're made to be in community because the very community created it. If it's in our image, then it's not just in God's image, or just in Jesus' image, just in Spirit's image. It's in all three of them together, and how they work, and how do they work as one. Guys, when we're not unified, we're not in God's image. Yeah. Well, I'm a Christian, I just need me and God. No, you're not. You cannot be just you and God and be in His image, because to be in His image means you need to be like the three of them. You can't be a disciple of Jesus on your own. You can't. That's not like God, because God's not alone. He's the Elohim, the mighty creator, the our, the us. That's what we need to look like. And that's why it's so important that no matter how we may hurt one another, man, we got to get over it. we got to forgive. we got to repent. Whether it's in our home, in our marriage, or in the body. We want to be in His image, man. There's got to be unity. But God, I see that. But who's the other us? Well, how about this one? Psalm 104, verse 29. Verse 30. 
When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, and the actual Hebrew root here is ruach, which is also the same word you're going to see in a minute, they die and return to the dust. So when you take away ruach, you no longer exist. When you send your spirit, guess what? Exact same word, ruach. They are created. And you renew the face of the ground. Did you catch it? This is powerful, guys. Spirit. The Holy Spirit, in essence, is simply the breath of God. And when God spoke, what happened? Created. When God's breath, the Holy Spirit, came into existence, came into the creation that we are a part of, because the Spirit already is a part of God, it came from Him, it created. And we see that three times in the Scriptures. The first one, when He simply spoke into existence, our creation. But then He had an extra special one. One that He said was very good. He got some dust together, and He breathed into that creation within creation. And what did we get? Mankind. When He created woman, it was a lot more advanced beginning. Piece of bone rather than dirt. Right there, you know the difference between men and women. That's why women are more complex to us men. Just keep it simple. Dirt. Just give me the dirt. I got it. Right? And that's why women go, no, dirt is dirty. I need the, I need the whole story. Right? But the Spirit did that. Do you know what the third one is? Where the Spirit of God breathed into existence something? All Scripture is God-breathed. How cool is that? So guys, when you get up in the morning, and you said, I just don't got time, you basically just shut the breath of God. You said, God, I don't need to hear you. I like my creation. I like what I get to do and how I get to feel and what I get to eat and what I get to taste and what I get to look at. But I don't need yours. Guys, this isn't a textbook. This isn't a magazine. It's not a newspaper. It's not a website. This is the breath of God. That's why it changes you. And every time you don't go to it, you're taking away something that can create something out of nothing. But if you don't get nothing, then you get nothing from your something, and eventually nothing, that's nothing. Think I got that right. Right? That's how powerful the Spirit is. If God, and here's the coolest thing, it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. It doesn't matter who you are, what's your background, what religion or faith you profess, if God would remove the Holy Spirit, all of us returns to dust. So when you get up in the morning and you thank God, there's a reason. You wouldn't exist without Him. That's why when atheists say, I don't believe in God, well, you believe something because you at least believe you exist right now. And without Him, you wouldn't. How powerful is that, guys? That If He were to remove it, it's over. That's why David was so scared when he saw that the Spirit was removed from Saul and he had said, he goes, God, please do not remove your Spirit from me. Because he knew that would be a spiritual death. Wow. Who's the Elohim? Well, we know it's El, the Mighty One. We know it's God. Now we know it's the Holy Spirit. 
<coughs> Who's the other part of us? Because us just sounds like it has to be more than two. It's Jesus Christ. Go to Colossians 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Something that God already had in His mind in the beginning, as Ed showed us. Seven times in six verses, Paul mentions all, everything. No matter what you believe, there's one thing that every human on earth has in common. Laminin. Now, maybe you've heard this, but laminin is an essential molecule found in our human DNA. Think of it as the glue that holds and keeps your body together. Guess what laminin looks like? Literally. Jesus holds us together. No atheist can explain this. And as I did more study on this actual molecule, it's actually pretty cool. The short arms where Jesus' hands were crucified, where His blood was spilt, that has the strongest grip on whatever it's connecting. You're not going to break that. Unless you choose to leave Jesus. Jesus hey, if He's got His hands on you, you're in. And then the long appendages, what that does is gives a solid foundation. But the strongest grip is the hands. But then there's the foundation. And I believe, as we know, there's a foundation on earth, His body, that we need, and a foundation in heaven with our Father. That's literally, Colossians is true. Jesus, literally. Part of the Elohim, the mighty Creator, holds our entire body together. How cool is that? Now, why is this important? Well, as Ed mentioned earlier, a beginning implies an ending. The mighty Creator, Elohim, has an ending in mind through the Holy Spirit and through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Elohim, the mighty creator,
God, Son, and Spirit that created the heavens and the earth to be inhabited, that same Elohim has made us as disciples a new creation so that we could take a message about Him to invite them to a new heaven and a new earth. That's why we're here. So guys, I'm glad that we're understanding what Elohim means. But if that's all we get from this, we've missed the point. Us understanding Him as a mighty Creator also now must make us His disciples because we are a new creation in Him through Christ and the Holy Spirit in us. That we have a responsibility. That we now must be made in His image, working together as God, Jesus, and the Son are, to advance His will, which is to basically inhabit a new heaven and a new earth. We are the ambassadors of the place we're all trying to get to. If we're not evangelistic, we don't really appreciate Elohim. We don't. Take that to heart. Make that really sink in for a minute. Why is this important? Because of Revelation 21.1, the ending that was already begun in the beginning. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Guys, Elohim is still Elohim. (laughs) He didn't stop being Elohim at the end of the Old Testament. He is still the Mighty One, the All-Powerful One, the Creator, the One who can make something out of nothing. And yet, none of us are nothing. We're already something. So what can God do with us, through us, for us, to us, in us, by us? Amazing things. We are meant to be the messenger. Reconciling mankind, his creation, to have an opportunity to go to the new heaven and the new earth. You might ask yourself, well, okay, okay, Derek, I I get this. This is cool and all. It's kind of unique. But really, the first century disciples, the first century church, they didn't pray to Elohim. Really? You sure about that? Because, see, I read a story in Acts that Because they understood they are a new creation in Christ and they received the Spirit and they now had a direct relationship with the Father God, that triune Elohim, that they were now messengers, they were ambassadors of a message and they began to preach it. The world didn't like it because that's what wickedness does. It suppresses the truth, makes you not appreciate the mighty Creator and so they began to persecute them. And so in response to that persecution, because they knew they still need to fulfill the mighty Creator's plan, they go to God in prayer and in Acts 4.20, it says, when they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God, Sovereign Lord, Creator of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. Sounds like Elohim to me. What was the direct result of this prayer because they believed it? And it wasn't just knowledge and understanding, but it transformed them. It invigorated them. It emboldened them. What came from that? Because that's what needs to come from us today and from this day forth. That as we understand Elohim, the Mighty One, the All-Powerful One, the Creator, it's got to make us also do whatever it did to them. We read in verse 31. 
after this prayer, the meeting place shook, which should not surprise us. When you go back to Genesis and it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and earth, it says the Spirit hovered over the waters. Shakes? Vibrates? Because see, when the Spirit moves, it's not dead. It moves. It creates something. It shakes us up. And basically, God shook up their minds, their hearts, got rid of complacency, got rid of fear. And what did it do for them? It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Ruach! The breath of God. The Word of God. And they preached the Word of God every once in a while when they could. No. With boldness. Guys, if we really believe... In Elohim, we absolutely must be bold. We need to be unleashed. We need to be created into something we never were. But Derek, you don't understand. I'm just not an outgoing person. I don't know what to say. If you were nothing, God could still use you. You have no excuse. Oh, I do remember that from one of the verses, right? But no, it's not my personality. God gave you that personality so He'll make up for the part of personality that doesn't seem welcoming to that situation. Because He can do something out of nothing. But you have something, so I think He can do it. Right? The place was shaking. I think it's time for us to come to the presence of Elohim, of God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And let our hearts and minds be shaken. May that Spirit come into us and fill us and just shake out those cobwebs. Remove those fears. Get rid of those doubts. Just kill the selfishness in us that is preventing the lost world from hearing the message of our mighty Creator to invite them to a new heaven and a new earth. Amen? Amen. I think the only appropriate way to end this message and end our service today is by praying as they did to Elohim. So if you can with me in spirit, I will say the words, but you'll speak them with me. You don't have to say them out loud. But I'm going to pray the prayer of Acts chapter 4. I'm going to change it a little bit in our modern tense. But let us go to Elohim so that we can be unleashed to be mighty as He is mighty, to create as He creates. Elohim, mighty Creator, You have made us a new creation through Your Son, Jesus Christ. You have filled us with Your Holy Spirit, Ruach. You have given us a message to take to this world, a message of reconciliation. But the nations rage. The hearts of mankind plot evil in vain, and our enemy uses technology and the wisdom of this world to fight against you. Your truth is ignored, or worse, turned into religions that mislead humanity. Consider their motives and enable us to speak your message with great boldness and Christ-like compassion. Do miracles through your name and the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Shake our hearts, shake our minds, remove all complacency. Fill us with Your Word through the Holy Spirit to empower us to preach confidently to others Your message of salvation so that one day we can all inhabit together 
the new heaven, and the new earth. It is in Jesus' name, Elohim, we pray. Amen.